Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. We have a fucking phenomenal episode for you today that will leave you inspired feeling so much gratitude and so much love. I cannot wait for you guys to meet Barrett Paul. So sit back, grab a self-love cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. (gasps) He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Barrett Paul came to me on TikTok in a time of need where I had posted a video where I was more or less being bullied. And I started devouring his content and very quickly realized what an incredible human he is. He is not only an activist and a life coach, the amount of travel this man has done is just phenomenal. Um, We are going to get into a little bit of sexual assault. So I want to preface this episode with a trigger warning for that. We are also going to talk about his life as a queer man uh, and get into all sorts of details around that. So I want to make everyone aware that we are diving into some really good, meaningful, and important topics in this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Barrett Paul, welcome to FML Talk. I am so, so excited to have you here and meet you off of TikTok. So welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor and I'm very grateful to be here. Oh, you have had a pretty incredible life thus far and career. Um, so for people that don't necessarily know you, can you kind of give us your your backstory on how you came to being a life coach and activist? Yes. So when I was 18, I went from Long Island, where I grew up, to NYU. And my first week of school, I joined my first protest. And it was against the genocide in Darfur. And from there, it was just a string of events that kept me kind of in this space. But while I was at NYU, I also um, became a model. I was professionally signed for about 10 years and graduated from NYU. I was senior class president, very, you know, uh, type A, wanted to be the best I could be and had this moment my senior year where I was like, I don't think I want to go to law school. I think I want to pursue my dreams and not other people's dreams of me and moved to LA, did the whole model actor thing had success with it and towards the end of my time in LA because of what had happened I was like I am done with this industry Um, I want to come out I want to be authentic I want to live my truth um, in all ways and from there uh, kind of took a moment of truth and clarity and said I'm gonna fuck it all and I went and hiked 800 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016 And that began the journey of four years traveling the world where I made it to every single continent, including Antarctica. And then at the end of 2019, I found myself at the um, beginning first day of the revolution in Lebanon. Um, I happened to be there the very first day that all happened and then had a string of travels that kind of brought more clarity and insight into what I wanted next. Got back to New York, which is my home base at the time and was like, I think it's time for a change. And before I knew it, moved out to San Diego and a month later the pandemic hit and this is where we find each other now. Oh my God, dude, there's so much to unpack in that little blurb of life that you just gave me. Um, So take me back to when you're modeling and acting, you said, you know, there was a time where you wanted to come out and live authentically. So when did that happen? You were living as a straight man up until that point? Yeah. You know, I never passed for straight and that's a whole conversation in itself. I was the queer kid, but not in that kind way. I was, you know, the faggot 
um, mm-hmm. from as young as I can remember. And that's part of what's so funny to me about these conversations around like gay rights and, you know, don't say gay, don't say gay is that I was called gay by straight people before I even knew what gay was. And it mm-hmm. was like this sexualization of a child that had nothing to do with anything else, because realistically, I was just a kid enjoying what I enjoyed. I wasn't right. I wasn't having sex with anyone for a very long time. Um, and so, yeah, I got into the industry when I was 19 and I was at NYU when this all started. So for me, my focus was always my school. I paid for NYU myself. It was ex- <laughs> debt, super expensive. So like that was the focus. Um, but when I graduated, I had an opportunity to move to L.A. And that in itself is a crazy story. Um, and then out there found success. I, I booked my first job. I had a billboard on Sunset Boulevard when I moved out there. I did the yeah, op- amazing. I did the opening and pre-opening campaign for the Las Vegas Hotel and Casino, the Cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. So like I was on buses and billboards and every magazine. And it was like this super cool thing that I thought would pay me all this money and be this great, you know, next step. And lo and behold, it's not what you expect as it often isn't. Welcome and to LA. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, yeah, towards the middle point in my LA life, I fell in love and I was ready to embrace that. And it was with a man, um, you know, kind of, I guess, to answer the question up until that point, I had been dating men and women. Um, I was 19 when I started to model. Um, I was sexually assaulted when I was 19 by a man. I had never had any experience with men before. Mm. And that kind of, I think, pushed me even farther back into the closet. And so around 20 is when I started to explore my sexuality in my brain. Um, And then around 24 is when I left LA because my managers, agents, casting directors, all these people who happened to be gay men themselves were like, don't come out. It's not going to be good for your career. We want you to, they sent me to a swag class, which I didn't even know what that was, which was basically teaching you. Stop it. Teaching you how to be straight. Yep. Like how to deepen your voice, how to walk slower with more swag. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, but I, I am open-minded. I like to try everything once within certain realms and bounds. Um, and I said, you know, maybe this would be an interesting experience. And I liked it. Who knows? Right. Um, but after one session, I was like, this is not for me. This is also super expensive and had the very big realization that I needed to leave this industry and leave LA and then kind of just say, fuck it. And that's when I left everything in my LA life and moved back to New York um, where the next journey would start, but not finish. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this is really interesting to me because I grew up in the industry. My mom is an actress. My dad was an actor. Um, I've, I'm an actress on and off now a days. Um, <laughs> and like to hear, you know, I feel like we've progressed a certain amount in our industry, especially with the Me Too movement coming forward finally. And like a lot of females taking their power back, but I don't think it's a widened enough conversation right now about how gay men have, well, God, now I'm like questioning myself. Am I not supposed to say gay men? Is that not correct now in today? Well, first I like to say thank you for asking that question. I believe yeah. in safe, open spaces. And I like to think that I am that for many people because it is a confusing conversation. At this point in my life, I don't consider myself a gay man. I'm a queer person. I Got still it. use the pronouns he, him, but also they, them. I think it just okay. encompasses more of my fullness in terms of all of me. I don't think any of us yeah. are just masculine or just feminine, and it's a social construct to begin with. Totally. Um, but a lot of people still very much identify as a gay man. Um, the industry as a large still has a lot of gay men, people that self-identify that way. Uh, I personally am just in a more, in my own thought, modern progressive place with all of this. Right. So queer person is more. Yeah. And you can call me a queer man. Like, again, that stuff doesn't bother me. I'm not triggered by it. I know it's really important to other people. Yeah, Um, totally. But I and I, I I think it's important, too, for people that are listening to this, that these are very new conversations. Like a lot of I've had a lot of people in my life be like, I don't get this whole pronoun thing. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for people to hear it and digest it and begin to understand it because so many people 
don't. And it needs to be that wider conversation of like, it's not just a phase that's happening. It's something that people are really passionate about and identify with. And if you're going to respect anyone by like, you know, opening the door for them or being, you know, kind to them, then you have to respect them in that way as well. It's like the same exact thing. So it really confuses me when people have any pushback on it. It's like, if you have questions, then ask, you know, like everybody's learning and we need to like be more open with people making mistakes and, and asking questions. But as far as like not respecting that, I I've never really understood where that comes from. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's why I do use he, they, it gives people two chances to get it right. 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 I love that. And I think that, that we just need to be open-minded that a lot of people do want to learn. A lot of people do want to ask questions, but the way in which we set up those conversations and the nuances can be scary. And some people are not as gentle as I may be in my journey. That also comes with a lot of privilege I've had, right? Mm-hmm. So it really is a balancing act. And I just hope again, to be safe space for people to come to the conversation and ask questions, but also set some firm boundaries and say, we are about love and respect. Um, if you're coming here with fear and hate, then we're going to probably butt heads and I'm not shy about butting heads with you. (laughs) Amen to that. I am with you on that front. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Um, okay, so taking it back to what I was saying about in the industry, I don't feel that, you know, the queer community has necessarily had that kind of um, movement the way that women have with the recent Me Too, um, because stuff like the story you just said, like that your agents and managers and casting directors were sending you to a swag class to mm-hmm. like basically be a better dude. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, you know, it comes down to internalized homophobia from these gay men themselves. You know, we're still in a patriarchy wor- patriarchal world, which means that being straight, being cisgender, being white is technically, you know, quote unquote, better. I don't believe right, this, right. but that is the place that a lot of people operate from, especially older generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when these men had these conversations with me, I mean, I vividly remember one of them sitting down with me and he was older and he had he was an acting coach and he coached some successful people some successful gay men that were in the closet at the time Mm. through the industry and also let's be honest in the industry we all know who's gay and who's not it's just to the public so they said you know middle america is not ready for someone like you to be gay you're not going to be the gay best friend this is this was said to me. I hope people understand. I'm not saying this about myself, but they're like, you're too yeah. attractive to be the best friend. You have to be the leading man with how you look. And right. the leading man is not going to be gay. And so you can either have two options. You can be completely in the closet and live a really private life and never go to gay bars, don't have a boyfriend publicly, don't have gay friends publicly, or you can have a very private gay life that is secret that you will hopefully be able to have because you work more um, because, you know, being gay and looking how I look, there wasn't gonna be a lot of opportunity for me. So I work here and there, Um, but, you know, deepening my voice, straightening up more or less would give me opportunity to be on things like at the time, you know, CZW's 90210 or gossip, things like that. And then I could meet my lover in some private Island and have a great time that way. And I just remember thinking like, so you want me to always be acting 
Like I'm never not going to be acting. And that right. was not why I got into acting. I got into acting to storytell. Well, yeah. And it's ridiculous that you can't look at someone who identifies as gay, bi, straight, whatever, and then get cast as something else. It's like it's called acting. Why can I not live this authentic life and then go act and play a character of a straight man and have it be fine? It's so toxic that our industry and our world has operated like that for so many years that that's become a, a wild notion to people. Yep. And, you know, the big like selling point was at the end of the day, you're going to be making studios money and studios are selling to middle America and middle America is not ready for this. And the truth of the matter is these people weren't ready for this. Middle America is kind of ready. Not everyone, but we're seeing, again, gratefully through social media, how many people across the country, the world, are ready to see people like me in these positions. And I'm grateful the industry has started to change, um, but we are still very, very behind where we need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you were 19, you mentioned that you experienced a sexual assault from someone in the industry. I do want to give you a chance to explain some of that for people listening but i'm curious in the fact that it was by a man mm -hmm. and that was the first experience you had with a man i had um a good friend of mine uh on last season who was sexually abused by his stepfather all growing up and then still went on to identify as a queer man um and i always think it's really interesting when you can have a horrible experience with someone of that gender and why it doesn't push you the opposite way. So do you have any thoughts or insight around that? Absolutely. The first thing that I want to remind anyone who's listening is that one in six men will be sexually assaulted in some way. You know, that's, that's quite high. It's just, yeah. we're not being honest about these conversations. And I never thought that I would be one of these people. So publicly to talk about this, I mean, when it happened, and I can, I can talk about it. I'm, I've gotten to a point in my healing. I've talked about it a lot publicly. Like I can talk about it and there's just some things that don't need to be said. Um, but I got, you know, back to my, at the time, dorm room and just like blacked out and cried. Um, and not from like drinking, but just naturally like just went into like trauma response to just like yeah. not. And didn't think I'd speak about this ever to anyone. And it wasn't even until like, more recently that I even processed that that was my first experience with the man. Like I mm. removed all the layers and pieces to it. So it was just this bad thing that I could put over there and not think about. Um, it was through talking about this and getting ready to come forward for the article with the advocate that I'm so grateful they, you know, took the time and care and thought it was important to speak about. Um, and I processed more and more of it. Um, but yeah, realistically, I know of men who are queer, who went in the opposite direction. They had bad experiences with gay men, other queer men, and basically went on to live a heteronormative life, even though that's not their full truth. And mm. for me, it just came down to really accepting the fact that I wanted to be happy and I didn't want that to come at the cost of anything. And you know, if I'm honest, I say my sexuality is fluid. I dated men and women. I'm open to men and women. I think the more that we remove these binaries for all people, we start to understand a lot of it is socially constructed. And, you know, looking at the gay community, the, the level of misogyny is quite high. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes again from this like socialization that like women are gross, where it's like, this is just immature and stupid. And you sound kind of like straight men right now. So the, the article with the advocate that, basically was you detailing what happened to you. Um, what was the the want behind that? Why did you feel called to speak out when you did around all of it? I have always looked up to women. Women have been my safe place since I was young. Um, you know, at the time, my, my friends that were girls, they're women now. Um, my mom was my role model for a really long time. And there's not a man that I look up to still today. Mm. And I, that's kind of a bummer. Um, but at the same time, I'm grateful that there are people I look up to. And I went um, to Oprah's Super Soul conversation at the Apollo Theater in New York with a friend. I have looked up to Oprah and loved Oprah since I was young. She was the person I would come home from school and sit down 
and watch while I ate a knish, a pickle, and orange juice. Very Jewish of me. I am Jewish. I so that's love not like, it. That's not me being obnoxious. Like I'm Jewish. Um, <laughs> and I would sit and listen to the hour conversation that she would have every day before swim practice. And getting the opportunity to go and see Oprah and have those conversations that I listened to as a podcast, you know, in real life was super exciting. And the last conversation at this taping was between Oprah and Selma Hayek. And Selma Hayek had been talking about her Me Too movement experiences and the things she was doing. And I just started to cry. And it was in that moment that I said, I have to do it. I had been thinking about it already. I was in a relationship that wasn't healthy and he kind of gaslit me into not speaking out sooner. I also was very conscious as women have not had a lot of opportunities for space to speak. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to come into that space and take it over or take away a voice. And it just all was made very clear in that moment that we all have a part to play. And there aren't a lot of men or male presenting people speaking about this. And realistically at the time I was still, you know, the height of my modeling and my influencing and people were wanting to emulate my career and go and shoot with the photographer that sexually assaulted me. And I just kept thinking like, I'm sending people into the lion's den because I'm not speaking out about this. And if I could save one person from having this happen to them, then it's worth it. And so over the course of like a year, you know, because these things don't just happen overnight. Like journalists have to do a lot of work and they have to go to different sources because I didn't just name one person. This is a very complicated web of people that protect Mm. each other in this industry. And um, a lot of them had no comment or have had lawsuits against them. And it's not going to go away. And I hope we continue to see more people of all everything speak out against this because silence is how predators continue to get away with what they do. Yeah. Oh, and I've heard numerous stories about problematic photographers in the industry, specifically with queer men. Um, that's that's a known thing. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people come out to to speak and call people out about it. So I can't even imagine what courage it took to do that. Um so I, I just want to take a moment to to applaud you for that. That's a really big deal. Thank you. It still makes me emotional. Like I'm, I've gone through this conversation so many times, but yeah, the, the memory lives in our body and all the yeah. things leading up to that moment were very stressful. Um, I mean, the photographer sent me email after email trying to like backtrack or send me messages mm. to gaslight me out of coming forward. And I don't think any of these people were ready for me. Um, I'm a lot smarter than I look. And I had saved everything and a lot of it was quite incriminating. And I'm really grateful for Kai Braden, who's the other model who came forward with me about the same photographer whose name Mm. is Rick Day. And I think it's important to say his name and have people know who he is. Absolutely. He still shoots on a regular basis. He still takes advantage of models in different ways. I'm not saying specifically sexually, but, you know, there's a lot of test shooting that go into a book that he sells and those models make no money off of that. And I've been told by many models, queer and not queer, um, that they've had, you know, experiences with him in some way or another that were not positive. And uh, I just don't get why the industry continues to protect these people when realistically there are so many wonderful photographers, agents, managers, directors, you name it, who aren't doing these things and can produce even better work. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so in agreement with you in every facet of the industry. And I'm sure it exists in so many other industries as well, but, um, I, we can, we can hope and pray that we will, we will get there one day. Um, so now let's take, take your journey to (laughs) New York. Um, is that where the, the more, you know, life coaching activism started? Yeah. So when I left LA and quit the industry, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I wasn't happy in this industry. I didn't want to be a part of something that told me not to be myself and to essentially influence other people to not be themselves. And Mm -hmm. I've had that thought a few times throughout my different careers. Um, And so I got back to New York and went through my quarter life crisis, as I like to call it, Mm -hmm. um, and found myself just like open to anything and questioning, like, what do I have interest in? What are my passions? 
And so I got into production and I got into fitness professionally. I was a trainer at Barry's Boot Camp back in the day before they were everywhere. There was like two studios right. in New York. And that led me to my first private client. And then that quickly led me into realizing like a lot of people who are coming to me to work on their body really need someone to sit down and talk through things with. And so then I quickly got certified in behavioral change and used that coupled with my degree from NYU to become a coach. And I've been coaching now for eight years um, and finally don't feel like an imposter. And I feel like I'm good at what I do and I like what I do and I've helped a lot of people in a very cool way. That's incredible. Um, and you've worked with people kind of all over the world from all different walks of life doing, you know, this life coaching sessions. Can you kind of tell me about the different people that you've worked with? Sure. I can't give like names. No, but, of course, of course. <laughs> um, you know, I've worked with a Middle Eastern prince who was struggling with his sexuality and found me through social media. And I'm very grateful to report back that he and his wife are completely honest and open with each other. And they've figured out a thing that works for them that keeps them both safe. Wow, um, that's incredible. Yeah. And that comes from such a intense culture that is not necessarily accepting of that lifestyle. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's illegal where he lives, you know, to be queer. And I've also worked with a 16 year old queer um, person from the Middle East that didn't have a safe place to speak about these things and just help them navigate this. I work with um, I've worked with celebrities as just, you know, a coach. Uh, not everything I do is around queerness. It's a, a big part of what I do, but it's not everything. I've worked with um, CEOs of major fashion companies. I've mm. worked with, uh, you know, just normal people in the South that don't know where else to turn and have conversations that help them ask questions and release some shame and mm. journey into their authenticity to really live a fully peaceful life. And that's where I always want to bring people back to because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is wonderful, but happiness is fleeting, just like sadness, anger, any other emotion. It's peace of mind that when we find that, we can go through all the emotions and go, I'm going to be okay. I've been through stuff that's hard before, and I've gotten through it. And that's my goal, is to just bring that to as many people as possible and empower as many people as possible. Yeah. Do you think it's different for each individual what how they get to that place of peace of mind? Or is there like an umbrella rule of like, here you go? <laughs> It's absolutely different for every person because every person has a different journey. But there are three things that I like to remind everyone that are the utmost importance to finding peace of mind. And that's community, like real community, not just community that's like, we got your back. That's like there for the deep, honest, authentic conversations. Mm -hmm. Altruism. How do you give back to the world in some way? And maybe it's, you know, in a small way with your community or maybe it's a big way in a, you know, around the world. And then gratitude. Gratitude is so important. And I'm so grateful that more and more people are talking about how important it is. But it's like any kind of, you know, training. You have to work on it consistently every day so that it becomes your normal pattern of behavior. And that's why behavioral change is like technically what I'm certified in. Um, but I call myself a life coach because it's just more digestible. But I also think of myself as a grown-up camp counselor. I'm like, come to me. Oh, like, I like, love that. <laughs> let's have fun. Let's go back to the basics and just explore and ask questions. That's amazing. Um, okay, so I we have to talk a little bit about your travels because I'm a big travel person, um, specifically solo travel. And you've done all seven continents, which is wild. Um, I, what was your favorite place and why? I know that's like an impossible question, <laughs> but... It is a loaded question and I have an answer for you. Um, but I also just want to kind of put this out there to anyone who's listening and wants to do this. Like I grew up poor on Long Island. I didn't travel anywhere until I was in college and I went abroad for a semester and did it with like credit card debt. Um, I encourage everyone to travel and solo travel. It really yes. teaches you how powerful you are and capable and increases your yes. confidence in like the most magical way. Yes. Oh my God. This is what I preach like day in and day out. It's, it's life changing and it will steer the capable thing. That's what I say every time. Like I never realized how fucking capable I was until my ass was like in a place I had no idea where I was and I was able to do everything on my own. Yes. It's really empowering. It is. And 
Um, it started again with like me hiking 800 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail. Like when you have to survive out of a backpack and really figure out, again, it's survival. Like five people died that year that I was on the trail. Um, you realize again how capable you are. And then that was the catalyst into going to all these incredible places. But the top three that I give are um, Nairobi in Kenya. It mm. was the first time that I really had to reckon with my whiteness, which I don't think a lot of white people have to here in the States or yeah. in parts of Europe or other countries. Um, and it wasn't a bad thing. I was welcomed. It was very, it was an incredible experience. I, I considered moving to Nairobi actually. Wow. Um, and then I also really loved Cambodia. There is such interesting, rich culture there that I had no clue about. Um, mm. I went down to Southeast Asia to do humanitarian work for three weeks and stayed for three months. Um, and I actually got turned away at the border of Cambodia the first time I tried to go in because my passport was about to expire. So I had to go and get an emergency passport and figure that out. Oh my God. And then get in. Um, but that was another moment of being like, you're capable. Like I was in between yeah. two countries. Handle it. <laughs> being told you can't go to either one and figuring out how to get back into Thailand to the embassy and then get my passport. And then the third one, which I just, not that many people have been to Antarctica. It was fucking yeah. cool. And it was such a mind blowing experience that I never thought I would have. Um, so when it happened, it was just like, I can't even put into words how much like your brain just blows up because you see these things you've heard of and then you see the effects of what you hear a lot of people talk about when it comes to like climate change. Right. And um, it was, it was incredible. Incredible. What about you? Yeah, What's you're your... like, check that one off the list. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a bucket list in my journal that was like travel to all, um, all the continents. And then I put accept Antarctica. So like being able to cross that off fully was Yeah. Cool. Why? Because you thought that one was like out of reach? Yeah, I didn't even know people went there. Right. Like made, You're like planes fly there. What? Yeah. I mean, I took um, a boat down from uh, Argentina and that's usually oh, what amazing. you do, but you can take a plane there as well. A small little plane. Um, but I'm curious, what's your what's top three, your favorite? Like, I mean, it's a loaded question. It is. And, you know, I always struggle because there were so many places I was fortunate enough to go to when I was younger, traveling with my mom mm. when she was filming different places mm. um, that I want to go back to so badly because they hold a really special place in my heart. New Zealand, um, mm. South Africa. Mm. Amazing. Top top two for sure that I want to go back to. But in my adult life, um, I did my my Eat Pray FML trip when you know, my life kind of exploded, which is what I wrote the book about. Um, and that for me, Barcelona was like. I could move there. My heart was just at home. Mm. Um, and then I did a second solo trip, this one by choice, in uh, 2019. And I went to Southeast Asia. I went to, I was supposed to only do Vietnam and Bali. And in the middle of it, I was in Vietnam and I was like, my heart's just like not settling how it should. Mm. And I got on a plane, went to Thailand and went up to this little mountain town called Pai and just, again, could move there and never come home and be fine. Yeah, Southeast Asia is incredible. There's a spirituality through the entire area that you can't yes. explain unless you've experienced it. And I've heard amazing things about Pai. There's like the Triangle Pai, Chiang Rai, and Chiang Mai. Yes, I yeah. haven't done it, but it's definitely on my like priority list because it's apparently super hippie and like very my vibe. Yes, yeah, it's like like tree cafes and like secret garden, mm -hmm. you know restaurants it's it's but it's so small that like you know there's the one night market street and you're there for a couple days and you know everybody mm. it's just magical mm. um i really want to go back to thailand and go back there and then do you know all the islands because i didn't get to do that but yeah southeast asia just has a really magical pull to it like when you're yes. there it's unlike anything i've ever experienced it's it's incredible I completely agree. And I actually lived in Madrid for a while. So I get the Spain oh, thing awesome. also. I prefer yeah. Barcelona. After living in Madrid, I prefer Barcelona or Valencia over Madrid. So I get the yes. Barcelona pull also. Oh my God, it's incredible. I have to go back and do... I, that's the thing. It's like, do you go back to the places you love or do you go to all the places you haven't been? There's, It's so... It's a 
constant struggle that I have inside my brain. I'm always trying to get out of the country like anytime I can. So COVID was like actual hell to just be in the US for mm. two years straight. Mm. I was like, I, I got to get out. Um, okay, so let's talk about what prompted you to do this 800 mile hike on the, the what was it? The Pacific Crest Trail? Yep, the PCT, what Cheryl Strait does in wild. Yeah, so what what prompted that? Because you don't just wake up to go do that. <laughs> no. Um, and you will very much identify with this knowing your story. Um, what makes us do anything crazy? I had a heart that was broken and I was yeah. ready to go and just be away from everything I knew. And I'm really grateful that I have a soulmate. Her name is Stacy. She and I have been friends since we're eight years old. And no. she also was going through heart, a, a heartbreak at the time. And everything about our lives tends to overlap like very universally, magically, so whatever you want to call it. But like at the same time, she was like, I broke up with my boyfriend. I am a vegan and I want to go hike on the PCT. And I was like, me too, me too, me too. Let's do this. <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah. And actually because of my life in New York at the time, I was like, I can't do it. And then two weeks before the trip, I called her up and I was like, fuck it, I'm coming. And so I just said, you only live once, go do this. You'll regret not going out there. And it was the most important trip of my life. Yeah, I mean, that's gnarly. I, have you ever backpacked before? I had never backpacked. Oh my before. God. Oh my God. I thought I was all ballsy. I'm like, yeah, I'm taking a backpack. I'm going to Europe and like staying in hostels. You're like, no, no, I've never backpacked. And I'm literally backpacking. Like that's next level. Yeah. I literally went to REI and bought like all the gear in one day and then walked through the streets for the next two weeks with my backpack on just so that I was like kind of ready. Um, oh my God. But I was really fit from like, uh, you know, fitness standpoint because I was working in fitness at the time and I was walking everywhere so when I got out there it wasn't crazy but it doesn't matter how fit you are that trail will kick your ass and that's the yeah. point because it breaks you to build you back up and again it's something that you need to experience to fully understand but there's this thing called trail magic and it's just like what you really need presents itself at the perfect moments you know it's it's not about asking for a million dollars. It's about saying, I really want to Coke right now. And then you're in the middle of the woods and you find like trail angels have left this box and inside is like a Sprite. And you're like, that's close right. enough. <laughs> um, and you get rid of your name and everything about you. So like on the trail, you're given a nickname through a story and other people give it to you. And so my name was wow. Sweetheart. Um, and it was, it just feels right when I even say it myself, but I left hearts on the trail in the shape of rocks for Stacy to know mm. that I was ahead because we hiked at different speeds. And along the way, we'd meet people and they'd be like, yeah, we saw these hearts. And I'm like, oh, I'm the heart person. And they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah, my name's actually Sweetheart. And they're like, why is it Sweetheart? And I'm like, I'm just always making sure everyone around me is okay before I'm okay, um, mm. which is a boundary I've had to learn to maybe not always do also. But yeah, but, uh, yeah it was again, you, you go out into the woods and you think you're walking for one reason, then you realize you're walking for so many other reasons. And I was able to raise $5,000 for a global citizen and Amazing. really just step out of all the things that held me hostage to my New York city life. I had blue hair. Yeah. I had a big beard. Like it was just, wait, what? I can't even imagine you like that. Yeah. My hair was like, we got to um, this town called Tehachapi. It's in California it's a little town and they had a Walmart. And this is funny because I mean, you live in LA, I'm from New York. Um, right. Walmart had felt like a giant city for the first time yeah. in my life. Right? <laughs> and we went into Walmart and we went down the like hair dye aisle. And I was talking to the little group that I became friends with out there. And I was like, I've always wanted blue hair. And they're like, this is the time to do it. Like, fuck your yeah. hair. Because my hair has always been a big part of like my modeling influence career. Right. And so I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And so I dyed my hair like bright, bright blue. I'm trying to think of like the blue it, you could compare it to, but it was like a bright, bright blue. And wow. instantly I felt more like myself. And I was like, okay, cool. And then other people that did like pink and purple. It was like this like team effort that we did. Yeah. You you become hiker trash is what they call it. You just like do everything you've ever wanted to. Like all the girls grow out their body hair and all the guys get like scraggly and you just like, don't care because you're not showering for five days at a time. 
Right. And you're like, what does it matter what color my hair is? I'm disgusting and not looking in the mirror anyways. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. So what, and I, people ask me this about like, you know, my different trips that I've taken and it's an impossible question. So I'm going to ask it to you. <laughs> what do you think is the one thing that you hold closest that you learned from that journey? One of the many things that I'm sure. Can I give two? Can I cheat? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Give it, give me, give me as many as you want. <laughs> so the first one is what I tattooed on my arm after my trip. And it says, hike your own hike. And, Love that. And it's a saying on through hikes. So they say it on the AT, the PCT, any kind of big t- hike. And it's just, you're going to come to a point on your hike where you are hiking with other people or you have an expectation. Fuck it. Do what you need to for yourself on this trail and know that it's all going to work out. Mm. And don't worry about anyone else and what anyone else wants and needs from you. Hike your own hike. And so for me, that's like the ultimate life lesson that I share with other people. It's kind of like you do you. Um, And the other one, and this comes from all the travels, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, is that it's not so much what you see, it's who you meet along the way. Mm. The people that I've had the privilege of sitting down and speaking with around the world have shaped me into the person that I am today and truly instilled a sense of empathy that I don't think you can get by reading. Uh, You know, you sit down with the matriarch of one of the biggest slums in Kenya in her home that is not very big. It's one room and there's nine people living in there and she's Mm. happy and she's excited that you're there and everyone's smiling at you. And you walk away from that being like, I am, so privileged and I have met some of the wealthiest people in the world and they will never be as close to happy as these people are. Or you sit down with a group of backpackers where everyone's in a foreign country and you ask everyone around, you know, the table, what are five things you're grateful for? And they all start to share and you realize how much in common we all have, even though we're from all these different countries. And it's just so soul healing and hope instilling. Mm. Yeah. I, you might be a good person to ask this because this has been coming up for me recently. I consider myself an empath. Mm-hmm. I'm like the person that can't watch the um, Sarah McLaughlin mm-hmm. yeah, animals at the pound. Yeah. Um, so there's a big part of me that like my soul that wants to, you know, go to Kenya and do all of the work that needs to be done um, all over the world. But there's also a part of me that feels like my heart will actually break mm. um, and not be able to handle it. Mm. How do you kind of find a middle ground um, with the work that you've gone and done? So the biggest thing, and this is something that a lot of my friends who work in humanitarian, like professionally, they are um, at the UN, NGOs, all of this. And we're having a lot of conversations right now about essentially going into these other countries and doing this work and what does it really look like and what is really sustainable and not just going over there as like white saviors Mm because it's very easy to be like i want to go help and fix and change everything but like what they need is resources and money they don't need us necessarily with that said i there's still organizations and ways to do this mindfully and correctly and i would encourage a lot of people to look into them because it really snaps you out of your own bullshit when you see how people live um And the other part is why I came back to the U.S. because I wasn't planning on coming back. But when I saw what was happening the first time around with Trump and that we were seriously heading in not a great direction, that there was a possibility to have a woman president, I was like, I need to go back to where I'm from and do the work there. Because if I don't do Mm. the work where I'm from, what does it matter what I'm doing anywhere else? Because we also affect so many other countries. And if we can make progressive, real, impactful change here, then we can probably facilitate and assist the countries that need our assistance um, when it comes to this work. But yeah, you know, being an empath is difficult because you feel so deeply. And something I've learned on TikTok is that, you know, a lot of empaths are empaths because as kids, we had to be hyper aware of everyone around us. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily like a great thing. It comes with like, a lot of trauma at the same time right and i'm sure you being in the industry at a young age and being around it even though your parents you know were wonderful doesn't mean that you weren't around some crazy things also yeah and when you have to grow up at a young age it comes with a cost 
And I just like to remind everyone to be gentle with themselves. And the best thing that we can do is first really do our work to heal. And then as the famous Gloria Steinem says is, you know, helping others heal is the final stage of healing. It is healing in itself. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a cr- that, that really resonates. It's a great quote. I live by that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about TikTok. Okay. <laughs> um, because that's where you and I originally connected. And I'll never forget because someone tagged you in a video that I made about this podcast that was kind of saying some really horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they were they were tagging you because you're kind of known on TikTok for standing up for people um, and really like bringing really important issues to light. So how did that kind of start with you doing that type of work on that app? You know, I was really against social media Um, for a while. I had just been totally exhausted by it because I've been a part of it really since it all began. You know, Mm -hmm. I say I was on the tail end of the influencers just starting. And so I was a part of what created this monster. And so I think there's a social responsibility to correct what's going on in a lot of ways. And having a large platform comes with a social responsibility. But I've always been this person, you know, in my normal life. Like, I am not good at watching injustices go unchecked when it comes to mm-hmm. people close to me. And that comes because I was so heavily bullied for so long and really so to parts today. But I had people stand up for me in different ways. But I remember thinking, like, Barrett, you need to be the person today that you needed when you were young. And Mm. there's a lot of people that don't have the confidence that you have found through all the different things you've been privileged to do. And there's a lot of people that need a big brother, uh, you know, an older sibling, um, just kind of show them how to do it. And I didn't want to, again, step into the feminist space and take over someone's spot and be a voice that spoke over women. And I'm very grateful that people understand that I am there first and foremost as a human that wants to stand with all people and that the goal is love, equality, equity, compassion. Um, But we have to check these mostly awful misogynistic men because they are the common predator to all of our well-being, including each other's, Mm -hmm. which is the funniest part to me because at the end of the day, you know, we're all like white, straight, cis men are the worst where I'm like, yes. And technically they're hurt within patriarchy also because it's really the white, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, wealthy man that's hurting all of Mm. us. And those are the ones that are in positions of power to, you know, buy Twitter for a lot of money or put, you know, abortion rights possibly overturned. And I never, ever thought that this would turn into what it is. I am deeply humbled and grateful. I like to remind everyone that I am a student before a teacher. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I want to do better. I want to learn. But I will always stand up for those that need to be stood up for because I remember what it was like to not have that. And we heal together. We either, there's two winners or two losers in life. And I really believe right now we're all losing. And that's sad to me because it would be so easy to all win if we just worked together. We have enough of everything. There's enough water, there's enough clean food, there's enough shelter, there's enough everything if we globally just cooperated. But we have let people who are fearful and insecure project that onto the rest of us and think that we need to be fighting with each other. Right. So, so, so well said. Um, And I, I stand with you on all of the points that you just made. If there was one thing you could tell people listening who are kind of on their healing journey what to remember or focus on or bring it back to, what would that be? Love is everything. Hmm. You're always perfect. And that is said with understanding that we are all imperfect because all imperfect is, is I am perfect. So you're perfectly where you need to be right now to learn the lessons that you need to learn and learn the lessons so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. Um, because ultimately all mistakes are our life lessons and we either learn from them or we don't. And if we don't, we repeat them. And ultimately, if you can find gratitude in the small things, because those are the big things, 
you know, if you have a clean place to sleep that is warm and safe and you have access to water when you need it and sanitation and food, you are luckier than 99% of the world right now. And be gentle with yourself and remember that healing is a forever journey. It's never done. Yeah, definitely not linear. No, not at all. Um, Barrett, this has been so incredible. Thank you so much for gifting us with all of this and amazing knowledge that you have. Can you tell everyone now that we've talked about how toxic <laughs> social media can be, can you tell everyone where they can find you, please? Absolutely. Um, and thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Your story has mm. influenced me. It's influenced a lot of people. And I hope that oh, thank you for that. You sit in how big that really is, because it's hard to reckon with a number on top of a screen that says 1.4. And you're like, that's 1.4 million people. That is crazy. That's bigger than yeah. some cities. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I needed that today. I appreciate that. I'm sending you a virtual hug. I'm hugging you back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me on all social media, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok is my big one. Um, at my name, Barrett Paul, that's B-A-R-R-E-T-T-P-A-L-L. -T -T -L. Um, and I welcome you to come join us in the Love Army. That's what we're about. I fucking love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank Barrett so very much for coming on this episode. The moment I finished recording it, I knew how important it was. I really am just proud to have people like him on this show and speak about the things that he's gone through and what he tries to preach in our world that is so badly needed. Um, and I hope that everyone listening today can take what he said and really put it into practice, not only in your life individually, but the ones that you share this beautiful planet with so that we can leave it a little better than we found it. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you want to watch live in studio, you can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash FML Talk. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.